Amen. Thank you, Emily. Guys, I don't know if you caught it, but a miracle takes place in our text tonight. And if you missed it, here's the miracle. You can look at verse 30. It says this, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Which is great news because in verse 24, Jesus said, therefore, I told you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Guys, this is a miracle because in the seconds that pass from verse 24 to verse 30, people, by simply believing that Jesus is who he says he is, are passing from being dead in their sins to alive in Christ. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. Just mere seconds that a person can go from being dead in their sins to alive in Christ. Just by believing in Jesus. Believing that he is who he says he is. Guys, I've been praying for weeks now for this night for that to be somebody's story. That maybe in just the moments that pass tonight, as we're just opening God's word together, that you would believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and that by believing in him, you would have life in his name. We've got this series that we just started last week. We're in week two. This is our I Am series. And the reason that this series is so important is because we have so many people around us that have thoughts about who Jesus is. Our professors, famous people, family, friends, all have thoughts about who Jesus is. But really for me, the question that I care about the most, the question that I really wanna ask is, what does Jesus actually say about himself? I don't care what other people have to say about Jesus. I wanna know what Jesus actually says about himself. And that's what we're doing in this series. We're just walking through seven statements in the book of John, where Jesus says, I am, and we'll fill in the blank. And tonight, this is what he says. It's in verse 12, chapter 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world, and anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. I just want to pause for a bit, guys, because to fully appreciate what Jesus is saying here, I need to kind of paint a little bit of a backdrop for you. Um, because I think if, if you brought God up on stage and said, God, like, define the world in one word, this is what he would say. He goes, you want me to define the world for you in one word? I'll say this, it's dark. It's dark. We've got a world full of greed and lies, hatred and injustice, adultery, and divorce. We've got a world full of human trafficking and wars, genocide and famines, murder, abuse, bullying, manipulation, cancer, pain, and on and on and on. You know, sometimes the world gets really complicated or seems so. But really, I think when you get down to like just the nitty gritty of it, like you just want to summarize it up, I think God's spot on when he just says, the world, guys, is, it's just dark. Can we be honest about that? Because when I even use that word, when I, when I say that the world is dark, do you feel that? Do you sense that? 
And here's the problem, though, is that it's not just that the world is dark, that like it's something external, like outside of us, that like, yeah, like it's a problem out there. That's dark. The issue is, is that the darkness is here. I, I too have been, we all have been infected by this disease. Not just that the world is dark, I'm dark. Do you feel that? Just ask you, which of these things define you, okay? Anger, does that define you? Impatience? Anxiety? Crushing perfectionism? Does that define you? What about pornography? Selfishness, laziness, gluttony, hatred, envy, lying. Have I listed anything yet to this point that doesn't define you? Guys, I think one of the sad truths that I, I, I've come to the grip with is that I, I realize that like in my life, even every good thing that I've ever done, if you even like take the best things that I have ever done in my life, every one of those, when I look back on them, was jacked up in its motives. Like I've never done a good thing ever in my life with totally pure motives. Every time it's been jacked up, either with a desire for somebody else to think well of me or me to like store up some favor for something later that I could ask of that person. I have never done anything good with pure motives. So even my best stuff is jacked up. Do you sense that? I think one of the challenges that often I, I hear people throw at God has to do with the problem of evil, right? God, if you are so good and so loving and so powerful, then why does evil exist? Why can't you just get rid of evil? Then if you did that, that would prove to me that you're loving and good. And, and guys, you got to understand, God looks at that. And he says, children, you don't get it. If I rid the world of evil, then I also have to rid the world of you. Because the problem of evil and the problem of darkness is not just that it's out there. It's in every one of you every one of you. We aren't the solutions. We're the problem. The world is dark. I am dark. And where there is darkness, understand this, where there is darkness, there is only death. Only death. And it's against this backdrop, this dark canvas that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus is the exact opposite of darkness. He's the exact opposite of darkness. Jesus is light and in them there is no darkness at all. That's what 1 John says. And not only does he bring light, he brings life, right? Do you see that in verse 12, that he is the light of life. Now here's what's crazy. That's what Jesus says to them. And as he drops this line, this is their response to him. It's in verse 13. This is what they say to him. You're a liar. Could you imagine? Have you ever like called Jesus a liar? Could you imagine that moment? 
But that's what they say. Look at verse 13. So the Pharisees said to him, you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not valid. You're a liar. See, what the Pharisees had is they had this human standard that essentially went like this, that you cannot claim anything to be true unless somebody else backs you up. So they're saying, what you're saying, it's, it, you're a liar. You don't have anybody to back you up. And I'm just imagining Jesus in this moment. He's just shaking his head. And it's like, people. And he'll go on to explain. He's like, guys, I, like I am like at a categorically different level than all of you. A different level. But they were judging by human standards. And I think we can do this too. Right? And here's, here's what I mean. Have you ever read anything in the Bible that you disagree with? Has there been a time when you've been reading your Bible, there's been something in there that you disagree with, and your response is like, nah, I'm not cool with that. What are you doing in that moment when that happens? Are you not now judging Jesus by human standards? You're kind of saying, ah, I think I, think I, I think we kind of know better than, than he does. And guys, again, in that moment, if, if he was there presently with you, he'd just be shaking his head like, guys, I'm at a totally different level. You don't understand. Like the way that this looks, like you got to understand, we don't know better than Jesus. This is like if I, if I had an illustration here, it would be like, like two people and I blindfold one. You've seen this partner game before, right? Where you have two people, you blindfold one, and then you have the other person with them. And they're like helping them navigate across the room with a bunch of obstacles, this is like us being the blindfolded one telling Jesus, no, 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 we need to go over here. And then we're going to turn here and then we'll jump off here. And he's like, no, you don't understand. I'm the one that can see. You're the one that's blind. And you're going to read my words and go, nah, I don't like that. And in this moment, they're the ones judging Jesus and we can do the same thing. But he's just trying to respond back to them. Like, guys, you don't understand. Like, we, we are at completely different levels here. And as he's kind of defending himself and, and giving an explanation for why he can make this bold claim that I am the light of the world, and they call him out on it, he's going to, over the course of our text and over the 18 verses, seven times he's going to reference his oneness with the Father, that the Father has sent him. And the point is very clear. Jesus is from God, he speaks for God, he is God. So the next challenge they throw at him, this is another kind of fun one, they say, well, if your father's got your back, well then where is your father? Maybe we could bring him out and talk to him. And this is his response, I wanna jump down to verse 19. They say, where is your father? And his response is, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would also know my father. I want to pause again because, dang, I love that. Guys, this, this is like one of those phrases in the Bible just gets like my, my blood pumping because I don't know what picture you have in your mind of like what type of dude Jesus is, but he is not like this soft PC dude in a robe. Like it's at least not at this moment, but never. Because Jesus is bold, he's direct, he's brave. And honestly, we need some of that in here. And we need some of that as we engage the world around us. Let me, let me zoom in on, on what exactly he's saying. Guys, take note, where is he at at this time when he says this? He's in the temple. And who is he talking to? 
Pharisees. And the Pharisees, they're like the, the religious elite of the day. The religious elite, and here's what he says to them when they say, well, where's your father? He goes, um, here's the reality. You don't know me and you don't know my father. Essentially, he's saying to them, and they didn't miss the point, he's saying that you don't know God. That takes guts in the temple and with those people. You don't know God. You don't know me nor my father. And just a few verses in verse 42, he's gonna make the bold just proclamation to them. He said, if God were your father, you would love me. You would love me. It's important that we understand this, Salt Company. And, and I, I gotta let you know, guys, what I'm about to say here, this is not PC, but it's true. It's built on what Jesus just says there. But Salt Company, you need to know that Islam and Judaism and I do not worship the same God. Doesn't matter what you wanna call it or how you wanna feel about whatever is out there, Jesus is the essential ingredient to all claims to know God. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know God, period. Jesus is proclaiming an exclusive message that salvation is found in no one else because there's no other name given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus has a monopoly on eternal life. And there's no way around him. You cannot claim to know God and not love Jesus. He who has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son does not have life. That's 1 John 5, 12. I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. Jesus is the only way to life, to the Father, to any level of hope. And so while the heaviness of all this hangs in the air, Jesus continues to press. Verse 21, he said to them again, I'm going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sins for where, you, where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said again, well, he won't kill himself, will he? Well, he, since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. And they, they think, here's the crazy thing. This, a commentator said this. They, go, they, they, they think that he's going to commit suicide, but as it turns out, they're about to commit homicide, right? They think he's about to commit suicide, but as it turns out, he's about to, they're about to commit homicide. Verse 23, he continues, you are from below, he told them. I am from the above. You are of this world, and I am not of this world. Therefore, I told you, you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. I love this. This is such a true question. Let's look back and be like, who are you? Who are you to say these things? That you're the light of the world. Who are you to say that? Who are you to say this on your own authority? And who are you to say that the, the, the Father backs you, that, that, that God is on your side, and I don't know him at all? Who are you? And he says to them, exactly 
what I've been telling you from the very beginning. I've been telling you this all along. Verse 26, I have many things to say and to judge about, but the one who sent me is true, and what I've heard from him, these things I tell you. They didn't know that he was speaking to them about the Father, so Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own. But just as the Father taught me, I say these things. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, because I always do what pleases him. And as he was saying these things, and again, the miracle, many believed in him. Many were connecting the dots. That Jesus has all authority. When he speaks, he speaks what is true. I don't judge that. He knows what is true and he speaks what is true. And salvation is found in no one else. He owns exclusive rights to eternal life. If anyone wants to claim the hope of salvation, it must be through Jesus and it must be on his terms. And some who were standing there, who at the one point were dead in their sins by simply believing in him, went from being dead in their sins to alive in Christ. The whole point of the book of John is to lead us to this point of decision. That to this question, what do you believe? What do you believe? Because John's trying to bring each of you, and I, I'm looking at a whole crowd, but I'm trying to make eye contact with every one of you, because what G John's trying to do here is he's trying to put Jesus in front of each of you and say, do you realize that you are gripped by darkness? And what Jesus is, is offering you here, he's saying right now, I am the light of the world. You can come to me and I'll give you life. And that he gives life to anyone in here who says, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he, when he came into this world and he lived a perfect life, the life I couldn't live, and then died a gruesome death, the death that I deserve to die, and then rose to life again after that, displaying that light always overcomes darkness, I realize that he has power to do anything, especially deliver on his promise that he can take a person that's dark like me and bring life and light. And right now in the seat that you sit, that can change everything for you. What is gonna be your response? And if you're like sitting on the fence right now, I'm pleading with you, believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. What do you believe? But there's more vision in here for us than, than that. I wanna take us beyond that. Because guys, when we believe in Jesus, and we cross from death to life, two things will happen. And I wanna make these things abundantly clear. When we believe and we cross from death to life, two things will happen. Number one, we stop walking in darkness. We stop walking in darkness. 
Go back to verse 12. He says this, anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I have conversations with some of you from time to time, and one of the questions will come up, it like goes something like this. Um, if Jesus is gonna forgive me anyway, like why not just sin and then just know I can ask him for forgiveness? Like, I mean, if Jesus' grace is so deep, why not after Salt Company tonight go to the hill and have a wild time and tomorrow I'll just ask for forgiveness because I know that Jesus will forgive me. And, and I, I always pull back from that and I have to stop for a second and be like, okay, that is like number one, it's like the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But then, but then sincerely wanna, wanna just shepherd it for a moment. I say it's, it's, it's absolutely true, guys, because this is the depth of the grace of God that Jesus has forgiven you for everything that you've ever done, everything that you are doing, and everything that you will do. That when you believe in Jesus, that what he did on the cross, he did for you, when you believe in him, that it makes you positionally secure as beautiful and good before the Father. Positionally secure. But that position, like where we sit that is secure, begins to inform what we practice and what we do. It has to. In fact, 1 John says this, that if we claim to walk in the light yet continue to walk in darkness, we're a liar. So you can't try to be in both worlds. And in fact, guys, this, this is really a, a black and white issue. This is a very simple thing. What Jesus is trying to bring is like, it's, just, it's either dark or light. It's either sin or not sin. It's either what God loves or what God hates. There's no middle ground. And you can't be in both sides. What the gospel is meant to do, this is Colossians 1.13, is that it transfers us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of of the sun. You know, one of the terrifying things about that phrase is that where you and I sit apart from Jesus. And so, so I'll back up a little bit. Like from the day that you were born, you have lived in what the Bible describes as the domain of darkness. Do you know what domain means? It, it means a, a place where somebody has complete and sovereign power. That's where you sit, it's in the domain of darkness. And the one that rules over that domain, his delight and his purpose for existence is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He delights in your pain. He loves to dangle the carrot in front of you to make you think that you're going for something that's gonna be awesome and then rip it from you in the last moment. He delights to kill you and to destroy you. And so many people want to stay in the domain of darkness. And when I talk to somebody who's so close to Jesus, like right on that edge, I'm like, oh, I don't know. I think I wanna keep living here for a while. I'm like, do you understand the world that you're headed to, that you're living in? one over you delights to kill you. And you wanna play with that, to go back and forth. Because some of you look so much like the world, no one can tell a difference. And yet when you cross from death to life, when you believe in Jesus, the one thing that has to change is that 
he stopped walking in darkness. One of the phrases that got me early on as I was starting to open the Bible and begin to ponder the things of God, this is before I surrendered my life to Christ, was just this phrase. It just simply said this, what benefit did you gain from the things that you are now ashamed of? Just a short passage of scripture. I began to reflect on just the decisions I was making at that time. And that really, I think that summed it up pretty well. What benefit did I gain from the things that I am now ashamed of? I've said this before, maybe some of you have heard me say this, guys, do you know when the most fruitful time of ministry is for the salt company? The time when most people come to Christ? It's actually the month of October. And I'm not trying to be weird, I'm not trying to predict what's happening or whatever, but, but I've worked around college students enough to know that the reason why that is, is that for many of you, for the past two months, ever since school started, you've been trying to find happiness. And you maybe have been dabbling here with Salt Company a bit or checking other things out, but, but, but you've been trying to find happiness and you've saw a bunch of other things, a boy, a girl, parties, experiences, you name it. And it takes about a couple of months for you to get to that spot where I could ask again, what benefit did you gain from the things that you're now ashamed of? Jesus wants to take that shame. Throw it to the side. That you not be dead in your sins, not be lost in that, but to bring you life. This light, it's supposed to transform us. A couple of men in my life that I absolutely delight in, Greg and Philip, I've seen God do a tremendous work in them. As we get together as men, we, we, we just, we talk about what's really going on in our lives. And I, I've watched them as they continue to open the word of God and challenge one another. I've watched them begin to change. I've watched Greg address his drinking habits. I've watched them both change as husbands how Greg loves Mary and how Philip loves his wife, Alexa, and his new kids, and to serve. I even watched Greg here this a couple weeks ago. It's, just, it's, it's fun to see men begin to walk in new life as he recognized about 15 years of just brokenness with his parents. He's on his way to John Deere one day. That's where he works. He's like, Cody, I was just like, that's it. I gotta forgive him and I gotta repair the relationship. And he's like, I, I, I just called my dad up and I just said, dad, clearly there's some brokenness between us, let's talk. And he goes, for the next two hours, Cody, I just got yelled at. I just walked the parking lot of John Deere. He goes, my dad was so mad, twice he hung up on me. I didn't say anything, he just got mad, he just hung up on me. And I just kept thinking, I'm like, I need to continue to persist and pursue him with just forgiveness and love that I will not settle for there to be brokenness in our relationship. I wanna honor my father. I want, I want him to know that I love him. Just persisting. Letting the light of life begin to transform him. The tough thing about light, the reason that it's, it's, it's hard, is, is we don't like light because it exposes what is true. That if you open your life up to Jesus fully, it's gonna hurt, it's humbling. 
Because now you gotta start owning stuff in there that doesn't make you look good. But this light is like radiation for cancer. It kill, kills while also heals. And if you've been walking with Christ even for years, guys, I, I can tell you, I've been walking with Christ for 18 years. There are still dark corners in my life that continue to pop up. And I have to just be right, relentless and ruthless to just continue to bring it into the light. And my goal in life now, the older I get in my faith, is to do it quicker and quicker. The moment I notice a dark corner, I, I confess it quicker and quicker. I would ask you, as a conversation this, this week in your connection group, what are the dark corners that you're trying to hide from Jesus? I say trying because he knows what's there. Are you actually gonna be humble enough to like deal with it? To be real with those around you and begin to walk in the light of life. Guys, as Christians, we're supposed to be different. People are supposed to see the light of Christ in us. And I'd ask you, you call yourself a Christian, do the people around you see that difference at all? And if you're sitting there in your connection group and you realize they're not, guys, go to Jesus, hand him your baggage and let him change you. It's what he does. It's what he's great at. The first thing that's supposed to happen when we believe in Jesus, that he is a light to the world, first thing that happens is we stop walking in darkness. The second thing that happens then, it's beautiful. We become little lights. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. In Matthew 5.14, he says this, you are the light of the world. That's actually where we got our name as a church. You maybe didn't know that. you like, Candeo Church, just weird name. I get that. It's a weird name. What Candeo, actually what it, what it means, it's taken from the Latin word to mean light. It means to grow and shine in brilliance. We took our name, this, this church, the name is from Matthew 5.14. Because in that passage, it's 5.13, it talks about that you are the salt of the earth and you're the light to the world. And we're like, all right, as a church, right? Let's, let's be salt and light. Let's go that. So we have the salt company. We have Candeo Church. Bring it together. You got salt and light. That's, that's the name. But, but it's to remind us always, every time we think of our name, that we, we talk about where we're Candeo Church, it's to pull us back to what we're meant to be as a church. We're meant to be a light to the world. A light to the world. Guys, Jesus, I said this before, Jesus proclaimed an exclusive message. That there is salvation and no one else, you must be saved through Jesus. That is an exclusive message, but Jesus has an inclusive mission. Inclusive meaning that he is available to save all peoples. You're only saved through Jesus, but that offer of salvation is for all peoples. Jesus knew what he was claiming when he stood there and said, I am the light of the world. Because God had promised back in Isaiah 49.6, 700 years prior to Jesus coming to the earth, God had said this in a promise. He said, it is too small of a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. But I will make you a light for the nations. It's too small a thing for just 
this redeemer to come who's just gonna save just a small group of people. I have made you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Jesus' offer of salvation is for all peoples and every corner of the earth. And his mission, his desire, saying, I am the light of the world, is in that those who would believe in him would become little lights themselves, and now you would be the light to the world, and we would be a sent people that would go and spread his name to the ends of the earth. I don't know if you know much about the world when it comes to Christianity, but I'll boil it down to you very simply. Guys, in the world, there are roughly 2 billion Christians. And if those 2 billion Christians all got up and decided to go share the gospel with everybody that lived within their neighborhood and everybody that spoke the same language as them, they would be able to share the gospel in that time, in that day. Let's say, let's try to do it in a day. They could do it in that day. They could share the gospel with two billion more people. So there's two billion Christians and there's two billion people in the world that live within earshot of Christians. You're like, okay, that's four billion people. I know there's more people in the world than just four billion. What about the other two to three billion? Guys, those other two to three billion people live in places where they don't even, they don't know a Christian They've never heard of Jesus. And unless somebody leaves where they live and goes to them, they will live and die. And if nobody leaves and goes to their kids, their kids will live and die. And if nobody leaves and goes and shares with their grandkids, then their grandkids will live and die never having heard the name of Jesus. Which is the only way that a person can have life. Guys, this, this is why we have people right now serving in different parts of the world. It's why we as a church are all about sending. It's why we work with college students because you're at this stage of life where you can decide right now to go anywhere and do anything with the rest of your life. And I'm hoping that some of you in here are recognizing that if we all are now lights, we shouldn't just all stay close together. But the point of light is that if you want to spread it across the whole world, you got to spread out a little bit. And if there's places where there's nobody to go and take the light of Jesus, then maybe somebody in here would say, I'll go. I'll go. Some of you in the coming weeks are gonna sign up to join one of our teams to go to Southeast Asia. Guys, when you go to those cities, you will meet people and talk to them about Jesus and they have never even heard his name before. And you will sit there and it'll blow your mind that you'll say Jesus to them and they don't have anything that comes to mind. And guys, to be honest, they're not there right now begging for you to come. They're not looking for you to show up. They don't even really want you there. 
And that's not just true for people out there, guys. That's also true on your campus. Maybe tomorrow when you're walking across campus, you could have kind of a holy moment where you actually begin to see the world like God sees the world. That you look into the eyes of people and begin to see the darkness that pervades our world. That you'd almost feel like kind of the dark cloud hovering over the campus and you'd see just a few specks of light. And you begin to ask like, God, what, what can I do to spread the light? And guys, again, most of the people walking by you tomorrow, they don't want what you have. They're not asking for it. But I'd simply put before you guys, wasn't that true of you at one time too? Wasn't your heart at one time so dark and so hard that you didn't want Jesus? But that didn't stop God from pursuing you. That didn't stop somebody from crossing through the awkwardness to engage you. Don't let an awkwardness stop you. I'd put just a specific ask before you guys. Maybe this week, you could simply just, just do this, this simple little thing. What would it look like if you found one person, one person in your sphere of influence and just say, hey, can we grab lunch sometime? God's been doing some pretty crazy stuff in my life. <laughs> I'd almost say miraculous. I want to tell you about it. Can we grab lunch and I'll tell you about it? So I'll come here. I give each of you that challenge. If you have the light of Christ in you, if God has done that miracle, just try that this week. Put yourself out there and recognize, guys, you have something beautiful to share. Don't hide it. God has done a miracle in you. Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you for just the beautiful ocean of grace that you pull us into. A grace so deep that we don't have to be scared about how deep that rabbit hole goes. That as we begin to open up our hearts and we begin to pull back the layers and, and pull out just the levels of darkness and all the things that we've done, all the things that have maybe been done to us, all the things that we are doing as we begin to bring those things out into the light and there's tears, there's brokenness. That we also realize in that time, God, we don't have to be afraid because we know that while we were sinners, at our very worst, you died for us. And so we don't have to be afraid of the darkness because light has come into the world and the darkness did not overcome it. Jesus, you are all powerful. Your name is glorious. I pray that you would use the salt company to proclaim your name across this campus across this nation and to the ends of the earth. Oh God, I pray. I pray for the people tonight who don't know you, who don't even know people who know you. God, and I pray 
for laborers to enter into that mission field, to take the gospel there, whatever costs, whatever sacrifices it takes. God, that you'd even raise up students from our own midst to go there to proclaim your name because you are so glorious, so beautiful. You are light, the only hope for the world. Amen.